This morning we are in our family month uh, series, and uh, I, I, I hope that you've been learning. I hope that you have been uh, uh, applic- applying the, the messages that we've been uh, sharing over the last several weeks because they've been absolutely uh, so good for us to learn and grow from, and uh, today will be no different as we are in week three of our Family Month series. And so uh, we've been talking about families. We've been talking about how uh, we can be and do better in our relationships. We've been talking about how we see and handle uh, our relationships with the people that we love and care about the most uh, based on, on how we were raised Right, how our parents uh, raised us and what we were exposed to uh, based on the influences uh, that are, surround us, uh, whether that be from other families that we have seen, social media, TV shows. I, I grew up watching different strokes, and, and uh, that was probably one of the best shows I watched. Anyway, that's, yeah, those are the things that go through my head. We're going to move on right along. And, and often, uh, when it comes to our relationships, the way we think things ought to be isn't the way they really are. And so we have been discussing the five lies that ruin relationships. And today, the next lie that we want to address is everyone should sacrifice themselves for the sake of the family. Everyone should sacrifice themselves for the sake of of the family. Maybe you have heard this before. Maybe you actually have said this before in your, uh, in, in your circle of, uh, that includes your family there. Um, and this was such a difficult, I'll give the disclaimer, this was such a difficult uh, message for me to write. I spent a lot of time in tears because if I was to put the mirror in front of me, um, I, I've probably... Uh, have um, been guilty of what we're going to share today. Not probably, I have been uh, guilty of it. And so um, I hope this ministers to you and speaks to you and your family. Uh, But for those who have multiple uh, kids, how many times have your kids argued because you gave them uh, a chore to do and one of the kids complained that they were doing more than everyone else? And that it wasn't fair. Mm-hmm, amen. That's, that, that happens in my house. <laughs> that happens in my house all of the time. Including that. And what's crazy is that you try to intervene, but everyone has got their own perspective and excuses. No, no, I'm helping. I'm helping. No, well, that's not enough. You're not doing enough. It's not, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You took, your part took longer than mine's. Or why don't you, maybe if you did your part better. Maybe if I had your part, it would, you know, the back and forth, the bickering, the arguing, it goes on and on. And these are, these are tough disputes to, to, to solve because they believe, they believe the work should be evenly divided principally just not practically. However, it doesn't work out that way in adult life. That's not the way 
it plays out. In every relational dynamic, there is some form of inequality, right? There's, there's, there's some form of like, like, it's not going to be fair. It's not going to be just. And we have to come to terms with that. Someone is doing more than someone else. Or at least they feel like they're doing more than everyone else. Sometimes we get in these same circular arguments in our own marriages. Ever played who's more tired than who as adults? In your relationship? In your marriage? I love that one. It's so much fun. And the best part is that no one ever wins. But you both get mad and, and bent out of shape and you feel insulted. It's the best. Who's more tired than who? But for all of the couples who openly argue about it, there are a lot more couples who, who kind of just fall into a rhythm and they just accept as reality, accept it as reality, even though they don't like it. It is what it is. To them, there doesn't seem to be any point in talking about it because they can't find a way to actually solve it. So they just suppress it. They just shove it down and, and just keep pushing through. But friends, when we overgive and overserve over and over and over again, we end up bitter and resentful. We get upset a little more quicker. And we get mad at the people we love and care about. We become so disconnected from how truly empty and exhausted that we are. We don't stop doing what we're doing. We just do it angrily and aggressively. We bark out the orders. We catch an attitude we're annoyed that the people we're serving won't help us, even though we haven't asked them to and probably wouldn't accept it if they offered. A lot of people who experience this don't actually talk about it. They just quietly carry it around. You know, you know where, where it does come out, where it does seep out? In counseling sessions. When they go see a counselor, in a book by a well-known Christian counselor, he wrote that some of the most common things that he hears from people talking about their family dynamics are, I can't do this anymore. All I do is give and give. I pour myself into everything else until there's nothing left. I don't know who I am outside of what they, uh, of what, of doing what they need. I feel exhausted, depleted, cheated, and dead inside. Another comment is, my partner doesn't appreciate how demanding it is to do as much as I do for the kids and around the house. I don't know what they think I do all day, but they treat me like it's nothing. I'm worn out doing what's best for everyone else. When is it, when is it allowed to be about me for once? If I complain about being overwhelmed, I'm told I'm too emotional. 
And for all the people who say stuff like this in counseling, there are a whole bunch of other people or more people who don't go to counseling because they're convinced it won't make a difference. Maybe they've been told before, this is just the way it is. Family requires sacrifice. I don't know what to tell you. Suck it up. Family first. And yet, for some of us, it's even worse because we're convinced that this this isn't just the way it is. It's the way of God. It's the way that God wants it. We're supposed to sacrifice and lay down our lives for each other, right? That's, That's what the Word of God teaches us. After all, God said things like this in Scripture. Offer yourself as a sacrifice, Romans 12.1. If you want to be first, you must be a slave, Matthew 20.27. Deny yourself and take up your cross, Luke 9.23. If you're convinced, consistent, quiet, unquestioned, one-sided sacrifice is all that God wants from you, Friends, and I want to tell you this morning that you're going to end up hating him and anything that he has to say. But is that a fair assessment? Is it really fair to say that or or come to that conclusion? Look, the reality is, right, these passages present us a sort of a, like a paradox, if you would, right? They, you, you can't have great relationships without sacrifice, but if you sacrifice everything, you are then, excuse me, if you, but if you sacrifice everything you are, then there is nothing left to relate to. Have you been there? Have you come to that fork in the road before? So let's start off today by defining what is sacrifice. Sacrifice is is the willingness to give up something of value that you own for the sake of someone else. That's what the definition of sacrifice is. To willingly give up something that you own, whether that be resources, time, energy, effort, whatever that case may be, for the benefit of someone else. It's choosing to lay down an aspect of yourself for someone else out of the love that you have for them. So, if that is the understanding, then then it can lead us to this next point that sacrificial love flows from a state of life-giving abundance, not emptiness. Does that make sense? That in order to give of yourself, you got to have something to give. But for some of us, the definition has become sort of warped in our mind, and we've mislabeled self-sacrifice as, as self-abandonment. We've traded the virtue of, sorry about that, we've traded the virtue of humility for its 
for its subdued sinful counterfeits like self-doubt, self-loathing, and self-betrayal. And once this becomes your habit, once this becomes the way you do life, right? Once you, this is the, the track that you're on, it's really hard to break. You get stuck in a cycle of over-serving and over-giving, over-extending, and becomingly, uh, becoming, becoming quietly more bitter, resentful, and angry, breaking down and blowing up, blaming everyone else. Then once everything is gone, you begin to disengage, to separate yourself. And start disappearing altogether. But what's crazy is then after a while, the feelings of loneliness and and uselessness start tugging at you and they prompt you to to reluctantly re-engage, still boundaryless, and repeat the cycle over and over again. I don't know if this is speaking to anyone here today, but it's definitely speaking in my household. And it happens to the best of us. Let me give an example from someone in the Old Testament that we're going to reference throughout our time this morning. Exodus 18 gives us the story of Moses and his uh, father-in-law, Jethro, right? And we start on uh, verse 13. It says, the next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from uh, morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, really simply, what are you really accomplishing here? What are you really accomplishing here? And that is a great question. Great question. You see, a lot of us watch what someone, is, someone else is doing and offer, offer up our advice, right? We offer up our own advice without even knowing what they're trying to accomplish. Like, hey, if you did it this way, this, this is what could result. Well, nobody asked you, Right? How do you even know what I'm trying to to accomplish here? Friends, to be honest, good advice aimed at the wrong objective is bad advice. It sounds good like good advice, but if you don't know what the end goal is, your good advice is actually bad advice. Getting quiet in here. Now Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, right? He's a wise man. He is asking the right questions before offering any suggestions, right? His question was, what are you really accomplishing here? He wants to know, what's the end goal here? What, what's the finish line? Where, what are we trying to accomplish? And so he's asking the right questions before offering any suggestions, And what makes it even more brilliant is that as helpful as it would be for Jethro to hear the answer, it's even more helpful for Moses to wrestle with that question. 
for, for Moses to sit there and be like, hmm, let me try to figure that out, what I'm trying to accomplish. And so this morning, I have a question for you. What about you? When it comes to your dynamics in your family, in this season of your life, what are you trying to accomplish? Some of you are just doing things, just doing things. It, it's been a long time since you've stopped to think about what you are trying to really accomplish for you and your family. You've been doing what you've always done. You're living impulsively, not intentionally. And this morning, I want you to think about that for a second. What is your end goal with your family? What are you trying to do? Let's go back to the story. And, and after Jet, Jethro gives him the initial inquiry, he then follows that up, right? He, he asks Moses, why is he doing it this way? He says, why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning to evening? So he's bringing these thought-provoking questions unto Moses. And this is also incredible, it's absolutely brilliant because Jethro's second question is, is this the best way to accomplish your objective? He observes that Moses is actually doing all of the work, right? That's what he, he sees. He sees, hey, Moses, you're, you're, you're actually doing all of the work here, which isn't effective or efficient, but... It is exhausting. It is exhausting. He's feeling it. The people are feeling it. And here's the thing. Some of our families, some of our families today work much the same way. One person does all the work while everyone else just stands around. And here's what Jethro knows that I want all of you to know here today as well. If for your family to regularly win, it requires one person in your family to regularly lose, you'll all eventually lose when you lose them. If in your family, in order to win, it's going to require for one person to be the sacrificial lamb, in your household, in your family, eventually you're going to lose. And you're going to lose that person. At the same time, nobody can make you do something that you don't allow them to do. Nobody can draw the appropriate boundaries in your life but you. They can help and empower you, but they cannot do it for you. Every exhausted person I've ever met is complicit in creating their own exhaustion. Let's continue to read verse 15 and 16. Moses replied back, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God, when a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. And so Moses is like, listen, man, they need me. They need me. 
I have to do it this way. I'm the only one who can do this. I hate that they need me, but I also love being needed. So I'm probably going to keep complaining without ever changing anything. How many of us have fallen in that trap before? My family can't move on without me. If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. They need me. I need to do this because nobody else is going to do it. Tell them I'm still in my message, please. Thank you. Not done yet. Not there. Not done yet. In Exodus 17 and 18, right? It says, this is not good, Moses. Right? This is not good, Moses Jethro says. You're going to wear yourself out and the people as well. The job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. I love, I love how subtle he is. Man, this is, this is not good. This is not good. And then he gives a reality check that a lot of us are trying to hold everything together all by our, ourselves could use, right? You're not meant to do this alone. You're not meant to do this alone. You're killing yourself and cheating the people in the process. And I know it's not your intention, but you need to think about where this is headed and what behavior it is creating in you and them. Yes, yes, love does require sacrifice, but sacrifice does not require burnout. And that's where you're headed. And Jethro is dropping some incredible knowledge to Moses. The fact is that we do know what happens when Moses reaches burnout, right? There are tons of stories about it. In Numbers 20, he is annoyed at the people and God tells him to do something to serve them. And he does it angrily and God disciplines him for it and basically says, you're not taking care of yourself. Moses, you're not taking care of yourself and you're taking it out on everyone else. And that's not okay. In our circles, when we do life, uh, self-care is a buzzword, especially post-COVID. Self-care, self-care. I remember here at South Hills, we we gave out these notebooks to teachers across the street. And we talked about having self-care, taking care of our, you know, doing the things that we need to do to be better in, in, in life. But there's a lot of misunderstanding of what that actually is. So let's talk about what self-care is not. Self-care is not being selfish or self-centered. Putting yourself first or constantly looking out for number one. In fact, selfishness is making our own needs and desires more important than others. Self-care is taking full adult responsibility for yourself, practicing a a balanced approach to personal health and well-being. You see your needs and desires not as more than others, but as important as others. This is where a famous Jesus line can provide a lot of clarity. In Mark 12, 31, we've 
heard the scripture before, and we say it a lot here at South Hills, and it says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But we often mistakenly read this incorrectly because we swap out the words and change the meaning. We trade as for instead of or more than or to the deterrent of. So we say love your neighbor instead of yourself. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor more than yourself. Friends, instead of serving people graciously, we enslave ourselves to them bitterly. And everyone pays for that. Everyone pays for that. We walk around the house like an angry elf. You want to bark out instructions. You need to do this. You need to do that. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. I was like a rat. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. Sorry, sorry. Just my mind goes into that stuff. Anyway, taking this verse seriously means that I place a high value on myself and a high value on you. I don't see the people around me as better or worse than me. I see them as my equals. Here's how this fits into a family context. Healthy family members invest in caring for themselves as much as they do in caring for everyone else. And I believe in my heart that there are families, there are someone in your household that is not doing this. Or we are not allowing them to do it. To invest in themselves, invest in caring for themselves as much as they do in caring for everyone else. In other words, I don't just take care of myself and ignore you, and I don't just take care of you and ignore myself. I take care of myself so that I can take care of you. That make sense? And sometimes that means saying no to myself so I can say yes to you, and sometimes that means you saying no to yourself so that you can say yes to me. Those who are over giving and over serving usually want the people around them to step up and are confused as to why they're not. But most people won't work to become competent at something because. Uh, uh, excuse me, most people won't work to become competent at something someone else is capable of and content to do for themselves. And that's usually what Jethro wants Moses, essentially that's what Jethro wants Moses to see. You created this problem. But then he offers up a solution. And I want to share that with you today. Exodus 20 says, teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions, show them how to conduct their lives. He starts off by validating Moses, excuse me, he starts off by validating where Moses is coming from, right? And then he outlines three key pieces to the process. Number one, teach. Here are the values. Two, instruct. Here are the principles. And three, shows. 
right? Here are the practices. If you're missing any one of these components, people are often confused or will be confused about what is it that they're supposed to be doing, about how and why. So let me, let me give you an example. Let's say you value, right? That's number one, right? You value humility, compassion, and service. Humility, compassion, and service. Those are, those are good, but they're kind of broad. So how do we value those things? There are a lot of principles that help you apply those values, right? But one might be we take ownership. We take ownership of how our behavior affects other people. But, but Pastor, how do, we, how do we apply that principle on an everyday uh, uh, relational situation? Well, one practice of that what might be the way you approach an apology, right? I'm sorry I hurt you. Uh, uh, please forgive me. How can I make it right? Now, you'll have only a couple of values, but there, there might be a lot more principles to that, and there might be even more practices, right? Things that you can practice to grow into those principles, It's important that we kind of take heed to this because if the end goal is to be better and do better in our relationships, we need to try to figure this out. So let me, let me close up this morning. Friends, if your family doesn't seem to be at peace, and you yourself don't feel at peace about what's going on in the dynamics of your home, I think it's important that we ask the question, why? Why is it? Why aren't things going the way they sh we feel they should be going? Why is there no peace in my heart? Why is there constant bickering between the kids, between the adults and the kids, or between the adults and the, the adult kids? <laughs> I think the first thing that we need to come to this point is to ask the question, why? What's the reason behind it? That might be a great place to start a conversation with your family. It might require that you all have a sit down at the table, making sure not to exclude anyone. My family, there are six of us. We have six chairs at that table and so it might require that we all sit at the table so that we can hear each other and understand. And you can start off by asking your family if they think you overserve or underserve and what they think you being more balanced would look like. Implement one of their suggestions. Listen, if you don't take care of yourself, 
you won't be able to take care of others. And my wife is, um, she's in a lot of pain today. She's been in a lot of pain over the last several days and her sciatica nerve is, is acting a fool and causing her a lot of discomfort. And I find myself running around trying to balance a lot of plates, trying to figure things out, moving a lot of pieces. Because my kids require you know, things and they want to do things and I'm trying to keep it as, as normal as possible. And as I kind of broke down before God, I didn't realize that. I'm not the one that's over-serving, that that it's my wife who has been doing so much. And we've taken that for granted in my house. Everything that she does for us there have been moments where she just kind of does it and we just sit back and be like, oh. And we've taken her for granted. We're not helping her take care of herself. We've kind of just helped ourselves take care of ourselves. And Jesus understood how important it was to take care of yourself so that you can later or be able or be in a position to take care of others. He modeled that for his disciples and gave us examples all throughout Scripture and how to lead others and parents, I mean, to lead others and parents, our families. And so church, I wonder what would happen if you made it your goal to create more uh, equality in your family instead of, of over or underserving to realize that you are part of something bigger than yourself, that you're responsible to take care for yourself, to care about each other and help them learn to care for themselves. And yes, it's absolutely complicated. It's difficult. Some seasons are going to be more complicated and exhausting than others. But ultimately, if we commit to this way of being according to Scripture, right? Not according to Pastor E, but according to Scripture, everyone gets to walk away and be at peace, and be content, and be healthy holistically healthy. Right? We talked about it week one. We're not, the goal is not to be happy, but to, to be fulfilled. And so this morning as you came in, I, you were given this worksheet it's for you to take home and, and kind of read it and sit down at the table with your family and, and kind of start, start divvying things up a little bit better. So that one person is not the person doing it all. So that everyone feels like they're part of the team. 
and so that the team can continue to move forward in a healthy way. And so I encourage you to begin to put those things into practice. May not be all of it. Maybe it doesn't apply to everyone in the house. Maybe it does. But the end goal here is to be and do better as a family. Keyword, as a family. So I hope that you leave here encouraged, motivated to be better and do better within your family. Amen?